Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots. Hello boys and girls, and a very warm welcome to another edition of Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this week we are reviewing The Avengers, Series 1, Episode 19, Toy Trap. (laughs) Dr. Exton, do you have a synopsis for us? I do, and again from Dave Rogers' The Ultimate Avengers... Dr. Keel is puzzled by the disappearance of girls who worked at a large department store. Someone is pressurising the young ladies into prostitution. Bunty, Keel's friend, agrees to help trap the culprit so that her friend May can come out of hiding. Steed agrees to help. He visits the department store and learns from the supervisor, Hearn, that one of the store's assistants, Lenny, has a criminal record. It is Lenny who has been hiding May from the boss of the Call Girl organisation. Using Bunty as bait, Steed exposes the ringleader, Mrs McCabe, the girl's landlady. Steed wastes no time in closing down the house of ill repute. Evening, sir. What can I do for you? Uh, uh, that card on the wall. Uh, uh, may I borrow it? Uh, no cigarettes? Cigars or are you a pipe smoker? Uh, it's just the card. Are there a phone round here? On the corner. Oh, you'll have it back in a second. Gerard 1071. May speaking. Of course you can, love. It's 27 Brunton Street. That's right, 27. It's the second bell. Just walk right up. This was videotaped on the 6th of July 1961 and transmitted on Saturday 22nd of July 61 at 8.15. And that was in the Midlands, North, Anglia, ATV, Southern, Tynties, Television, Western Wales, Ulster, Westwood and Scottish regions. As with so many others, there's no video for this one, no footage of any kind. But there is a video reconstruction on the Studio Canal DVD set, the complete series. Uh, There is an audio reconstruction in the Big Finished Lost episodes, that's on Volume 3, and... It's written by Bill Strutton and adapted by John Dorney. There is a script, a camera script, I think. There are 138 publicity stills for this, and there are 59 telesnaps. Dr. Exton, are there any alumni in this? Well, there are, and there are even two Doctor Who alumni. Mm -hmm. Tex Fuller, who had quite a long career, appeared in Adam Adamant Lives, The Goodies, Blake Seven, The Big Pull... All sorts of things also appeared in Doctor Who as the Exelon Messenger from Death to the Daleks. Okay. You're impressed, aren't you? I am absolutely stunned rigid. In which case, even better. Anne Tirard was the seeker in the Rybos operation. The post and, operation. And also played Locusta in the Romans. Decent guest parts in two good stories. We also have... 
George Benton, who played Wally Tanner, a regular in Coronation Street in the 60s. He appeared in Undermind and also a missing BBC science fiction play, The Girl Who Loved Robots from the Wednesday Play Strand. Brandon Brady played a regular in both Object Z and Object Z Returns. Brian Jackson will turn up in the Tomorrow People, the Castle of Fear story, um, and was also an extra in two episodes of The Quatermass in the Pit. Mitzi Rogers played Jenny Sutton in Coronation Street, uh, again, a regular part in the 1960s. She'll turn up in another episode of The Avengers, and she turned up in a, a few episodes of 1990. Sally Smith was uh, a regular character called Jenny on the Human Jungle. Tony Van Bridge played the TV producer in two episodes of The Quatermass Experiment. And Dorothy Watson will turn up in one further episode of The Avengers. Thank you very much. Well, for the purposes of this, obviously we are listening to the Big Finish audio adaptation starring Anthony Howell as Dr. Keel and Julian Wadham as John Steed. This one's also got Philip Pope in it as Burge. Fairly criminally underused for somebody of his talent, frankly. Uh, I was quite surprised. I mean, the guest cast for these things are usually pretty good, and this is no exception. <clears throat> Philip Pope. I know, I know. Philip Pope from... Uh, well, he he's been so many things, but he, he's uh, KYTV, I know him for best, and, and radioactive. That that's basically where Hattrick Production started, and Philip Pope, Rory McGrath, Jimmy Mulville, Tony Robinson, Julia Hills—they all got their start in the in the business in the ensemble cast of Who Dares Wins. Well, he's impressed me overall because of his musical talent. Uh, I don't know whether you ever you were intimately familiar with KYTV. I, I know you sort of touched on Radioactive, but. His mimicry of pop stars of the time, certainly in the 80s, he was spot on. And the musical styles, and it, they were just really on-point piss takes musically. I mean, I, I've, I've got some of the singles that were put out through that, so things like the heebie-jeebies. The heebie-jeebies, status quid. And yeah, they were very, very cleverly done, and, it, and he was behind it. Like you say, a bit of a bit part for him uh, in in these terms. I think he's been in other big finish stuff as well. I don't think this is his only appearance, but well, geez, if you're going to get somebody like Philip Pope, you're not going to hide them as a bit part. You've, oh, good you might get them get them to say, "Oh, we happen to be recording. Would you mind just adding an extra part in?" But he's not going to turn up just to do this. Oh, absolutely not. But I mean, in this episode, there's no Carol in this. It's one of six in the first series where, well. Carol's only in the first series, but it's uh, one of six where she doesn't appear. What do we think of the story itself? I enjoyed it better than Double Danger. Oh, but- yes, because it, because it, it's more original. It's, it's a bit slow. It's very preachy, but that's of its time. There were other shows with other episodes about the, the theme of prostitution at around about that time and a bit later in the 60s. The one that leaps to mind is the Carol Ann Ford episode of Public Eye. Mm-hmm. But it was very much a uh, sex work is bad, MK, which is <laughs> a, a very unnuanced and fairly typical attitude of that time. The problem that I've got with this episode is... <laughs> The surprise would have been that the glaringly obvious suspects to be behind the prostitution weren't the glaringly obvious suspects. What? 
there wasn't anybody who wasn't involved in the prostitution apart from the girls who were potential victims of it every single other character that you came across was involved the the landlady the boss at the, the, the toy, toy shop store. yeah okay there was a heavy but the bloke who picked them up in the first place the one who was working behind the scenes at the toy store every single character that we saw was either potential victim or in some way involved in the the organization and again we get like we've seen in in other episodes the big mystery of oh who's the person behind it um who could this mystery woman be when there is a grand total of one other female character who's been introduced so it's oh gosh it's the landlady what a surprise well it kind of isn't a surprise because other than potential victims she's the only female character and while we're talking about the potential female victims, they all sounded very, very similar, apart from the one with the Scottish accent who gets strangled about three words in. May and Alice and Bunty and Agatha, Tabitha and Bagatha and whoever the hell there else there was, they all sound interchangeable. Yeah, and that's been a problem that I've had before. We've had a, a slightly derisory comment on our SoundCloud feed that, is this a northern thing? where everyone all sounds the same to you. Uh, yes, thank you, Frankie Mole. No, everybody does not sound the same to us, but uh, in this... <laughs> because I, he was specifically commenting about your apparent inability to um, tell the difference between Steed and Keel, and I don't have a problem telling the difference between them. But Oh, no, in the early days, uh, in the first couple of episodes, it took me a little... Bear in mind, I am not... I've, I've been listening to radio drama since I was a kid. This is not... Uh, I'm not coming to this new, but Steed and, and Keel in the early days. And I, I'd already listened to to the, the entire series. So, But the multiple interchangeable young women that all sounded very similar... Okay, it was TV in the early 60s. There wasn't an awful lot of regional accents. But they gave somebody a Scottish accent. Why not give, a, give that accent to one of, the, one of the people who actually survived for a full sentence? Yeah, it, it, unfortunately, it did make them hard to latch onto and or care about. I was going to say, it's not an episode that shows Dr. Keel in a particularly good light. There's two reasons I say that. Okay, he's very protective of, of his friend Bunty, his friend's daughter. Um, and then then there's the whole if you put anybody else in danger i'll knock your block off but he's not actually made that stand about any of the other women who've been put in danger to resolve the plot so it it's not a you put anybody else in danger it's you put anybody else that, that I, I know that i have any connection to so it it's not a moral standpoint it's it's marking his territory and it's the, this person is somebody important to me so you don't fuck about with them but the next the next person on the list yeah have a way for the purposes of clarity this at the very end of the episode keel squares up to steed all about steed using bonty to get to the prostitution ring and it and steed very calmly and to be quite fair very reasonably deconstructs it and said look it would have taken three weeks and god knows how many other girls getting abused whereas i could i've taken a shortcut i've got a job to do i've done my job nobody's got he, hurt job done and what he doesn't say and could very easily have said is we've done this before and you haven't made an objection mm. you've put carol in the firing line any number of times and you haven't made an, an objection well he, he did kind of in the early days and basically say you, you need to need to lay off but he, he's not particularly 
enthusiastic about it. Steed ignores it and he doesn't challenge Steed on it. And you can make the argument that Carol's one of the regulars, whether it's officially acknowledged, she kind of knows what the story is. Yeah, it it was um, an awkward last scene because it didn't really ring true this moral outrage for all the reasons that you just said it's it's not exactly a a new thing for steve to have done so yeah a little bit odd and a little bit uncomfortable to be honest the situation only salvaged by was it carol or bunty walking in to offer them tea or something uh bunty and the other thing that i I say this doesn't show um dr keel in a particularly good light and i mean this is very much of its time thing the scene where he's cooking dinner and clearly has no clue how to do it. And he, he burns everything and doesn't know where the plates are and all of that. And it's it's very clearly, you have never set foot in your kitchen and tried to cook. You are making a point here, but you're kind of falling on your ass while you're doing it. Well, I'd love to know what he was cooking because it sounded like bacon or something frying in a pan. But he asked for the gravy browning. Um, whatever it was... I think tinned peaches and cream, which is what arrived for pudding, would have been positive well, luxury after that. I love tinned peaches. Oh, I I'm absolutely not love tinned peaches. It's real my grandmother food. Because, I mean, she was a dreadful cook, so anything she could get out of the can was great. But every time we went round there, we had tinned peaches, and it was lovely. Oh, you see, we are, all our puddings were out of tins when we were kids. It was, um, we had a big family, and we weren't poor but we weren't well off so uh, no there, were, there was a lot of rice pudding and tinned fruit and it was an absolute delight and i look back on it very fondly um, oh no actually I'm, she she used to make rice rice pudding from scratch and that was mm. very nice and my granddad used to make to homemade jam and he put that in the rice pudding and that was lovely yep we're going a long way off topic we are we, we've gone on a trip down memory lane and unlike the previous episode i I think this is sufficiently original not to need to go off topic. The setting of a department store really draws comparisons to Death at Bargain Prices, which is an, um, an Emma Peel episode we'll come on to later. What I would prefer to do is discuss the comparisons when we get onto that episode rather than looking forward, because I'm not sure that season one as good as it is, and as much as I'm enjoying it, really stands up with comparison with later episodes. So I'd, I'd prefer to see it as a, a standalone. Yeah, I, I can't really pin down why I wasn't overly gripped by this. It's better than the last one, but only just. It was, I think, the fact that there was just, it was completely unsurprising who was responsible at the end. You could see it coming at, at the beginning of Act One, who the perpetrators were going to be and who was going to get rounded up. So you knew very well what the ending was going to be before the episode was even a third of the way in. And once and you've the, cracked that, you're, you're buggered, really. Yeah, and the, the plot had a touch of thoroughly modern Millie about it as well. Uh, you've got the edge on me, though. I don't, I'm not familiar with it. I mean, it was a, a Broadway musical, and then it was a film with Julie Andrews and Carol Channing. Incredibly entertaining. Campus knickers. It's set in the 1920s, and it's about a girls' hostel run by a woman who's running a, a white slave trade ring. Yeah, I can see how, how you draw comparisons there. I love Thoroughly Modern Millie. I, I went to see it on its last tour, um, and we ended up sitting waiting for it to finish for about half an hour because one of the characters had gone off stage, broken his leg, <laughs> had, to <be laughs> cart- had to be carted away by ambulance, and they, his understudy came in halfway through. And... 
I mean, it, it broke any suspension of reality, but actually he did a really, really good job of it. Should we rate this in masterminds? Yes, I, I think we've probably wandered around the houses often enough. So, what do you think? It's a three from me. Again, it's another middle-of-the-road episode. It, it's not bad. I really didn't like the fact that I'd worked everything out within the first five, ten minutes. Uh, there's nothing to recommend it. The title itself is a little bit, I won't say misleading. I mean, all right, it's, there's, there's a few toys in it and a toy store. And it's not so much a trap as uncovering what's going on. Uh, but compared to some of the other story titles that we've got, like Crescent Moon... Because the island that they're on happens to look like a crescent moon. Obviously, you can criticise the titles, but I think we're going to be talking a long time if we start criticising the titles of season one of Avengers. It's true, and it's a real nitpicky point. It's certainly, again, uh, repeating myself ad infinitum here, it's no slight on Big Finish. They've used the original script. It's just It just didn't really do anything for me, and artificially generating the conflict between Steed and Keel at the end really didn't fit to me. So, yeah, it's a, it's very middle of the road, this one. It's not one I'll be racing back to. So, not a high point, and it's a shame, because as I've said before, we had a nice run of really good episodes, and then it's plateaued out a little bit here. Uh, but I live in hope. Because next well, week, oh well, I, I better not really, Hannah. You've already say, warned me. Don't get your hopes up too high for next week. It's really nice to see a surviving episode. I just wish it had been a different surviving episode. But that—that's being a little bit ungrateful. What are we watching next week? Next week we are watching and listening to Tunnel of Fear, and this will be really interesting because, unlike the other big finish comparisons with existing episodes, this is one where the episode wasn't known to exist at the time that Big Finish did their adaptation. And I don't think they've used a script. I think they've written this one based on notes from a scrapbook and the odd bits of synopses here and there. So I'm expecting two very different experiences from this. But we'll see. We'll see. It may be a long episode next week, boys and girls. But until next week, thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to watch and listen along with us, you know what order we're doing them in. We'll be back next time. Thank you. Bye now. They'll be back. You can depend on it. Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. With thanks to Studio Canal, Big Finish Productions and Alan Hayes. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. Come and get those kinky boots, boots, kinky boots. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.